This episode of Back of My Play is brought to you by Retrofixes.com, the best resource to get your consoles and your games playing better than ever and upgraded and modded so they play incredibly well on current televisions. Go to Retrofixes.com and see all the services that Wes offers. I cannot recommend it enough. Also, I want to quickly mention that right now you can get the 32 and 64-bit Back of My Play logo shirts and hoodies at teespring.com by going to tinyurl.com slash BIMP shirt. This is the awesome 32 and 64-bit variant that Lloyd Parker made of the logo, and these shirts and hoodies are the best. Like, you can pick them up, you can show your support for polygons, and you can also basically give $2 to Back of My Play and your support. So you're doing two incredible things, and really three. You're showing your support for Polygons. So Polygons, Back of My Play, and you're getting an awesome shirt. Go check them out at tinyurl.com slash BIMP shirt, like Back of My Play, and you can pick from a bunch of different t-shirt brands and hoodies. Go check them out. They're only available for seven more days once I post this episode. So go and get them quick. They're probably not going to be available again for the rest of the year. Welcome back to Back in My Play. This is episode number 69. For this episode, we're going to continue our discussion with our guide to PlayStation 1 Japanese RPGs in 2016. And I have two fantastic guests. The same guests that you heard on the last episode, but now we are recording like four weeks after we recorded the first part. So we've had some time to digest this stuff. First, coming in, getting ready for the the hurricane of the E3 Expo for 2016 is Peter Brown of GameSpot.com. Peter, what's hey. up? Uh, not much. I'm doing well. Are, are you like doing any kind of like mental preparations? Are you starting to like make sure you get some extra hours of sleep before E3 comes up? How do you get ready for that event? What's sleep? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, you know what? Uh, I'm, I've still got my head down focusing on reviews. Um, and uh, E3 is inevitable. Nothing I can do will change how it affects me. And there are so many surprises that are just, you know, going to just impact the whole thing. So I'm just kind of going in with a, hopefully with a clear head, clear mind, and uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, like um, Coach Taylor said multiple times and in many ways used this to lead his team to victory, uh, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. So that's that's what I would do if I was going to go to E3. Yep. Uh Speaking of clear eyes, full hearts, and not losing, we also have Kurt Collada from HardcoreGaming101.net. Kurt, how are you? Hello, fine Wednesday evening. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, it's it's a great it's a great evening where we are getting some some better weather here in the Northeast, um, and it is now like ninety, and the summer feels like it's getting close, which means locking ourselves indoors with air conditioning to play video games. Um, so with this section, uh, I just want to, again, quickly mention for people that if you haven't already, go back and listen to part one because we're going to be riffing off of that. Also, um, 
we we may do another bonus discussion at the end for the Patreon. So hopefully you guys can stick around for that. And uh, always the support from people is very important. But we are going to take uh, a break because this is going to give me an opportunity to use some, some music from the games that we're going to discuss. And that's partially why this show is so great. So stick around. We'll be right back with the part two of the PS1 JRPG retro discussion. Hey guys, you've heard me talk about retro fixes for the last couple weeks, and I gotta tell you, just the amazing work that Wes has done over there, and I hope you've been going over to the website and checking out all the stuff that he does offer, because, I mean, I feel like if you are not kind of going over there and checking out what you could be doing with your old hardware to make sure that it's playing better than ever, that it looks as good as possible, that it sounds as good as possible... You're doing yourself a disservice as a fan of this show because I know you love retro video games. You're listening to a podcast dedicated to them. You got to make sure that you take care of that stuff and you allow yourself to experience it in the best possible way. So I want you to go over to RetroFixes.com, see what Wes has to offer. And I know some of you guys have been and I know you guys are loving what he has to offer. And I've even sent some more stuff out because you know what? Sometimes you just need to look at the services and think, how how is this going to make my retro video game experience better? And then you kind of think for $50, $60, I could have dramatically improved picture or sound, or I could bring the game saves of one of my old favorite games back to life. Or you know maybe you just want to get your consoles out to Wes so he can take care of them and clean them up. And make sure that they're working as good as new. He has created just an unbelievable database of information for you if you want to do it yourself as well. He has a great uh, bunch of articles on there. And he also just sells the parts. So if you want to do it yourself and have fun over a weekend, you can do that too. But if you're like me and you just want the pros to do it, you can just mail your stuff out to Wes. He'll fix it up. He'll do the mods that you want. And then he'll put it back into a box instead of back to you. And then you get a console and it's like getting a new retro console in 2016. I'm so happy to that. I got to have Wes as a sponsor of these last three episodes, including this one. I really hope you go and check it out because he's been a great supporter of this show and a supporter to us as retro gamers to make sure that our retro games and our consoles are as good as they possibly can be in 2016. Check him out at retrofixes.com. Okay, so we started with part one, talking about a, a great lineup of games that included uh, Suikoden 1, Wild Arms, uh, Grandia, uh, Suikoden 2, and Chrono Cross. And uh, this is going to be weird for, for timing and stuff, but Kurt and I actually ended up recording like a separate episode that is not going to come out next week, but it's going to come out the week after next week, where we talk about uh, some some 
maybe games that fall into this section but may have some major caveats like specifically persona 2 is one of the games that we talked about and just a bunch of kind of awesome random retro discussion where we even kurt i don't know if you even remember this now but we we got into talking about like the teenage mutant ninja turtles games which was very which is kind of like very appropriate considering a new one uh, just came out and it seems to be terrible oh too bad <laughs> it is it is too bad poor platinum they just can't they can't put two games like consecutively together that are very good. Uh, it's like then every other year kind of thing with Splinter Cell. I don't know, guys. Anyways, um, so but those games were already discussed on part one. Uh, part two, I have a, a lineup of games in front of me. Usually, again, these are games that are on my PlayStation Vita already. And selfishly, I've been able to to round these two fantastic people together to help me decide what the heck I should be doing uh, in terms of putting my time into these games. So the the first game that I would like to discuss is a game that came up with the, the next section that Kurt and I talk about in the future in two weeks. Um, but that is uh, Xenogears, a game that has uh, an incredible soundtrack. And that's how I first found out about the game is like randomly on some YouTube playlist hearing bunch of random great like ps1 jrpg songs and a couple tracks from this game came up and then i immediately went to amazon japan and placed my order so i could have this soundtrack on my computer and my phone and all that stuff so um kurt did you ever get to to play any of of xeno gears um clearly you did because we talked about it in the future but um or in the past whatever but but what are your thoughts uh on xeno gears and is this something that is worthy of our time in 2016 kurt no maybe kurt's maybe kurt's gone uh-oh oh kurt kurt seems to be paused see sometimes the internet in New Jersey, like many things, uh, including their bridges, goes out, uh, and people cannot, you know, use the internet. Um, maybe Christopher is uh, deciding to close down the internet for the night. So, Peter, I'm going to give you this opportunity to uh, start off. All right, yeah. Uh, Zeno Gears came uh, at a time when I was at like my interest in, ja- in Japanese RPGs was at fever pitch, and PlayStation was the place to be for that. <laughs> um, and really, not the Nintendo. You weren't like playing Quest sixty four. <laughs> you weren't getting ready for that incredible lineup. Like I don't even remember like another JRPG outside of like Quest sixty four on that console. I think that's it. Honestly, <laughs> I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's it. Uh, no, so Xenogears was interesting to me at the time because it um, it brought in two uh, D sprites and. After you know playing a lot of 3D stuff, uh, I definitely missed that sort of aesthetic and the quality that it lends different games. And mm-hmm. so Xenogears was immediately appealing. And um, I, I, I can't say that I was a great student of uh, game development back then. I didn't realize who was behind Xenogears, um, and especially with the soundtrack. And and yeah, like you said, like the moment I started playing that game, that was one of the things that was so evocative and had such an impact on my enjoyment. And uh, and I really loved it. I loved the combat system. Um, I loved the fact that like I got to unlock mechs, which <laughs> it seemed like kind of haphazardly thrown in there in a way, uh, especially when it came to the second disc, you know, when it tried to make all of this stuff relevant and contextualize <laughs> it together. 
in a in a way that was very confusing to me as a oh I don't know fourteen year old thirteen year old. Um, I thought it was very high art. I didn't realize that it was actually due to a lack of funds. The yeah that that is something that I've heard uh, from a lot of people. Again, when I was like hanging out with the A four guys, that was the thing that was brought up. Is like yeah, the second disc is just const- It's just constant writing, and there isn't really. There's isn't really like a lot of game in there. It looks like they kind of just ran out of time and they forgot to put the rest of the game in. Yeah. Also, uh, fun fact, if you do have a PlayStation Vita, or I guess it's going to be the same thing on the PlayStation 1, but uh, the instruction booklet that they decided to use was the Greatest Hits version, which, I don't know, that just seems weird. But um, That is weird. You think they would be able to find the original instructions at uh, Sony of America, but maybe maybe not. But uh, in terms of like the gameplay, again, this is a big thing that was uh, that I brought up when it came to the the first part, which was the the actual like battles and the speed going in and out of battles. And what I've played so far of this game, it seems to be rather snappy. And it actually looks pretty appealing. Like visually, it's still a very appealing looking game. Yeah, the uh, you know the combo system kind of helps. Uh, it definitely lent itself to have like really good variety um, in terms of like you know the procession of one combat scenario to the next. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of great little uh, like you know effects as well. Um, it was launch in their position of we need just 3D games. We are not going to put out 2D games. We are not the Sega Saturn, and, <laughs> and Xenogear stuck in some great uh, some great artwork that just married those two different camps. Yeah, and it's uh, it is it is uh, it's one of those things that you kind of forget about. Um, but the instruction booklet, 40 pages, where we just we would never never get that today. Um, and and it is totally like the. The, the opening of the game is pretty badass. Um, like there is a huge mech battle at the start of a, a seems like a village being invaded. So at least it gets off to like a really quick start, um, which uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you wake up and you've, you've lost your memory. Yeah. It's, it was such an original way to start a, an RPG. I, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's another one of those, you know, amnesia stories. Um, you definitely, you know, you're treated to that little bit of backstory that most games wouldn't give you. And I, and I believe you're introduced to Graf. Is that his name? That's that, that sounds right. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll roll with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, internet, if I'm incorrect, it's been a while since I played Xenogears, but the, uh, yeah, you sort of, you get to, you get to meet this very mysterious villain. Um, and then you do wake up in this, in this sort of serene town, um, you know, with a, a pleasant friend by your side. Uh, and, uh, you know, yeah, it, it was a, it was a great little contrast and a good way to, to kick off the game showing you, you know, where you're going to be eventually at the end. And, you know, one of the reasons why this soundtrack is so fantastic is that it was, uh, composed by, uh, Yoshinori, uh, Mitsuda composer of Chrono Trigger. Um, also pretty good soundtrack. So, uh, there's some uh, great, uh, great composers involved with the game, and I always like to kind of bring this up because it. I don't know. I feel like maybe, maybe back in the day, like JRPGs at that time, it seems like they were super. 
they, like their scores were kind of overrated. Like they definitely had like this game and, and it, you're looking at the review scores now, um, like IGN 9.5, GameSpot 9, uh, PS, PSM, of course, perfect 5 out of 5. Um, even Edge had a, a relatively high 8 out of 10 for them and EGM giving it uh, a 35 out of 40. God, that's when they went to four reviewers for games. Um, so it, it was a relatively uh, well-reviewed game, and in Game Informer gave it best role-playing game of the year. EGM gave it RPG of the year, um, and RPG fans said it was uh, best import, third best import of the year when it came out, um, which it did come out about uh, six months later. In excuse me, eight months later, it came out February eleventh, nineteen ninety eight, in Japan. Then October twentieth, nineteen ninety eight, in North America. So it wasn't too far uh, later in uh, North America. We got a pretty quick translation uh, with this game, and uh, of course, it was uh, developed and uh, published by SquareSoft. So, uh, it, oh, this is oh, this was the weird time too when Electronic Arts was, uh, yeah, uh, excuse me publishing games in the United States for Squaresoft. This was would have been, I guess, right about that time where they decided to try to make some movies. Yeah, I was going to bring that up because I remember the first time I saw anything related to Xenogears was in a, a spread in a magazine. It was an advertisement um, you know, from EA essentially saying, like, these are the games we're publishing. And I think mm-hmm. there was, like, Bushido Blade, Brave Friends from Musashi, Parasite Eve... And uh, and Xenogears, and uh, I remember just being struck by the cover art uh, with you know the captivating you know red X, and uh, and thinking what the hell is that? <laughs> um, but yeah, it was so weird that Electronic Arts stepped in to do that sort of thing. And it, but it kind of speaks to the you know that time period in terms of what publishers thought American audiences wanted from video games, right? Where uh, Square wasn't confident in publishing it themselves, so they needed to go to a partner. It it I don't I, I can't even I don't even really remember that time um, because when when I was starting to get a PlayStation One I got my PlayStation One from my my now best friend who I met mostly because of his PlayStation um, and <laughs> we all have that friend right it's so okay. <laughs> but he ended up being like my best friend like I was his best man at his wedding like because you know it's been a pretty good uh, relationship over the years but. Um, we we met at this like high school kind of playground event thing during the summer where you know the kids they need something to do so they they run this program at the school and uh, I found out he had a PlayStation and I was like well I have an N sixty four so I want to see what the other side of the fence looks like and yep. I got to go down to his basement check out his huge lineup of of games including um, I think he had. It was uh, no, it would have been right before the first Tony Hawk, but he had like Resident Evil Two, like he had all these games that were just like unbelievably, uh, unbelievably graphically impressive. Because he also had the PlayStation Magazine demo disc where I got to see Final Fantasy VII demo and and just see that intro movie that completely blew me away. But um, he had a second PlayStation One because you might remember um, when the PlayStation One came out they did not work very well. They were very much like the Xbox 360, lots of defects, lots of issues. So he had a second uh, PlayStation one that was just sitting in the corner. And I said like, well, what, why do you have two PlayStation ones? Like this doesn't work. So I said, well, 
you know, can I, maybe I can take it home and fix it. Like, is, you know, is there any chance, like, do you, do you want it? Or like, he's like, no, just take it. So I ended up taking it home and then I ended up calling, uh, Sony and sent it in with my parents, thankfully giving me like $75 to get it repaired. And for 75 bucks, I had a PlayStation one. And then I had access to all these great games and even, got most of that money back as part of a class action lawsuit against Sony for the defects a couple of years later. So oh, interesting. I didn't realize there was actually a lawsuit. I had one of those PlayStations, the SCPH 1001 uh, series. They had a plastic rail that the lens uh, would sort of ride along and mm-hmm. the heat and the friction would wear that plastic down. Um, d- did you ever hear about the, the sort of DIY fix? No. You just flip it upside down. <laughs> you put the whole console upside down and it works fine. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have heard of that. I, I don't even know if I, I don't remember if I tried that or not, but the 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 thing just like, it was the problem that everyone had. Like it just wouldn't yeah. load discks. Um, yeah. Like you My can net- boot it up and, and play in the menus and that's it. Yeah. I've got a, a Net Yarose, uh, this, the black jet, you know, development mm-hmm. PlayStations. Same issue. Still has that. And uh, well, maybe you I don't use Call Sony. See if you can get it uh, <laughs> get it serviced. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, what you can do is you can buy uh, a later model. Uh, I think there's like one or two variations where you can take out the uh, the laser housing mm-hmm. and pop that into your old system. It'll actually fit. They did change the uh, the form factor of that that whole mechanism, so it doesn't work with every PlayStation. But you can actually kind of fix it yourself if you just find a donor system. Hmm, that sounds like a fun project, but that is not a project that I'm going to undertake because, um, and this is total side subject thing. Well, I think, uh, Kurt is, is jumping back on. I think they decided to open up the internet again. So the, uh, this pro tip game stop is actually, actually has some pretty, pretty good prices on retro games and retro game consoles, like surprisingly good. Um, I don't know. If, have you been poking around their site at all? I look around every once in a while when I remember that that's a thing. And you're right. Like the prices are totally fair. It's not what you would expect from a company that has uh, a reputation like GameStop does. Yeah. But you don't know the quality of the game you're getting. That's that's totally. my only hang up. So if if that is of any import to you, uh, maybe stick to eBay. Yeah, for, for sure. I, I mean, I always fall back on like no matter what, you can return the games to the retail stores and and, and get uh, a refund. But even just kind of poking around right now, like they have, you know, some some decent prices on stuff. Like you can get a a copy of Life Force for fifteen bucks. Totally totally fair. Um, but I was more impressed by the their hardware offerings where they had um, you know Sega Dreamcast for for fifty dollars, which you know should come complete with a controller and also some packages that are fairly well priced as as well i keep um i keep throwing stuff into into a like the cart and then i can just never pull the trigger on it but um even in terms of like if you're thinking about for some reason picking up a playstation one uh they've had some very good uh deals on consoles including um the original playstation one for for twenty dollars and the slim like mini version for thirty five dollars um Sega Genesis consoles model ones for forty dollars, and um, even uh, you know probably the 
their pricier stuff is the Nintendo stuff. As long as you're not buying yeah. Nintendo stuff, it's actually totally reasonably priced. Oh. Just if you're listening to this, maybe jump on on GameStop.com. <laughs> I know I'm going to make that mistake, uh, dude. I get I get people coming up to me all the time. Like, well, not all the time. It makes it sound like I'm actually popular. But <laughs> what's it like people- to work at GameStop? Oh, dude. Or, oh, yeah. I'm such a huge fan of GameStop. I love what you guys do. And yeah. like they know they know the people. They name names and like they understand, you know, I understand that like they're genuinely <laughs> communicating or, you know, what they're trying to say is what they're trying to say that they like GameSpot, but mm-hmm. they still say GameStop. And it's just like it is, what's worse is when I go to a meeting with like PR who clearly they're not totally focused on video games and they are trying to talk to me about GameStop. Mm-hmm. And and I'm like, I already know that you don't care and you're just being nice, but it adds insult to injury that you can't even get the name right. <laughs> the worst. It's, it's the worst. I mean, it could. I guess. I guess it could be worse if they just like said, "Hey, like, they brought you like a bag of games. Hey, like, what can I get for this? Like, what's my <laughs> trade-in credit?" And just like brought it down to CBS Eye and said, "Hey, like, yeah. can I can I get like thirty-five bucks in credit for this, or like, can I pre-order Madden? Like, I don't know yeah. what I do." I, I loathe to tell people I work for GameSpot who don't know video games because they will automatically assume I'm talking about the store that they see everywhere because they don't yeah. know what GameSpot the website is. I just say I work for CBS. <laughs> yeah, that's probably probably the best bet. Um, and yeah, just kind of poking around. Look at like you can get copies of Mortal Kombat 2 on the Sega Genesis for five bucks. Like this is a pretty good version. Sonic and Knuckles for ten dollars. Like these are I'm, for the hell just for the convenience of it and just being able to browse around on your your computer and order this stuff and get free shipping um over 50 bucks or whatever it's uh it's not too bad um can i, can I make a quick aside yeah to- of course all right so sonic and knuckles um are you familiar with i believe his name is uh brandon sheffield of course yeah he <laughs> was on um he was on we did an episode of bonks uh bonks revenge with i uh i think it was steve lynn Oh, gr- oh, wow. I should go back and listen to that. That sounds like an awesome <laughs> cast. Uh, he, I think it was him uh, about a year or two ago, got his hand on as many Sonic and Knuckles carts as he could <laughs> yeah, and proceeded to stack them on top of each other one by one to see what would result. <laughs> it was a really interesting like thing to watch on Twitter. Like Every few minutes, he'd put up a new one, and there were some really strange effects that came from that. Well, I'm uh, going to tell you, you're going to love this episode because I found it. And it, in terms of the episode description, uh, it, I say, we also have a lengthy discussion about PVMs, the Sega Saturn, and what happens when you stack a ton of Sonic and Knuckles carts on top of each other. Dude, that was made just for me. <laughs> That's like, yeah, that was, wow, that was two years ago now. Wow. And uh, yeah, go go and listen. If you want to listen to, uh, oh my God, and I forgot about... Um, He's made some awesome games over there at Necrosoft as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to go poking over there. And yeah, if you want to hear uh, some Turbo Graphics love with uh, Brandon Sheffield and, and Steve Lynn, uh, go and check out that episode. I think Kurt is still unavailable. I'm here. So- I'm just oh, whoa. in, in the background. The I didn't want to butt in. <laughs> oh, I was just. Oh man. Okay, uh, we're back. We, don't worry. We just we just all we did was talk about Xenogears, GameStop's uh, retro video game offerings, and then just a random aside of Sonic and Knuckles stacked on top <laughs> of each other. Yeah, my Wi-Fi has been really crappy lately. I think it's because I moved my computer. Uh, the only thing is that it might be a little loud, so you might need to check for volume levels again. But <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, we can always. Uh, I can always remove that stuff. I've been 
quite the ninja when it comes to removing audio. But while we have you back, uh, let's talk about uh, Xeno Gears. We got Peter's thoughts on that. So I was wondering, uh, how do you feel about this game in, in terms of its place in the year 2016? Okay, Xenogears is a sort of game that is amazing when you play it when I did when I was like 17, I think. <laughs> it was like right after I had first seen Evangelion and my mm-hmm. mind was just blown about, you know, giant mecha and religion just smashed together. Mm-hmm. And it's a very uh it's a very dramatic game. Like it's lots of big stuff happening, the screen shatters, the the plunks of like the sound of the battle system, everything feels exciting and it's an extremely detailed world, mm-hmm. but it's also uh it's also very slow because the tech speed is excruciating. Oh no. I, I don't know if you guys discussed it, but I remember even at the time um people were trying to look for game shark codes to make the text <laughs> scroll uh faster because there's a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And I mean then the story is one of these things where it's so huge that they were just not able to fit it into a game, more or less. Uh, like the infamous second disc is like where the plot kind of stops and they're like, OK, we got to finish this up. So it shows you like parts of the story. It sort of fast forwards it up until like the end. Weird. Roughly. And uh, I mean, it's a very cool game. It has a great soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um I remember enjoying it when it wasn't so slow, except for the sewer area, which I remember hating for some reason. Oh, God, I hate that, too. (laughs) And uh, the mech battles look fantastic, but they're kind of shallow. It's been a long time since I've actually sat down and played it, but you had to kind of, like, balance attacks with fuel consumption and stuff like that. I mean, it's it's an interesting enough game that, I mean, it might be worth playing, but I can't see myself going back to it. All right. Another one that we can cross off the list. Um, <laughs> what did Pete say? Yeah. Uh, Peter, Peter's, again, you guys have like said, like in the context of when it came out in 1998, pretty badass, but maybe today, not not something that you could probably sit through. Yeah. I mean, they made, uh, geez, this is gigantic book, The Perfect versus Zeno Gears yeah. in, in Japan. And it goes through, like, oh God, somewhere in the game, they like, one of the main characters actually lived through like six lives or something like that. <laughs> so you are only seeing one of them and you get flashbacks to the other ones. Mm-hmm. But this book details all of this stuff. And when they first revealed that uh, the, the people that were made were breaking off and making Xenosaga, everybody thought that they were going to be like remaking this whole saga as had been detailed in this book. And that did not happen at all. Oh, that's, that's a little bit of a bummer. Um, and Xenosaga okay. got off on a bad start because it was originally supposed to be six games. It was cut down to three. <laughs> the first two games aren't very good. Mm-hmm. The third game is where they actually like made a decent product. But at that point, if you weren't already invested in it, like it's just going to be nonsense. The Shenmue effect. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll, uh, we'll see someone come out at the Sony press conference and let us know about the the Kickstarter that will bring Xenogears back onto the Sony PlayStation platform. Probably not. Um, okay, let's let's continue to to run down the list. And um, this is uh, this is a series that is of course started on the Super Nintendo, but continued in onto the PlayStation One as Sony continued to just suck up all the. And I, this was funny. Like we were talking. Uh, Peter and I were talking a second ago. Can you think off the top of your head, Kurt, of one like traditional Japanese RPG that's on the Nintendo 64 that came out in the States? 
<sighs> it's that bad, huh? It's like, I mean, there's everybody always points to Quest, which I've never <laughs> that's played. We, but that's what we said. <laughs> people speak of disparagingly. Uh, there was that game Aiden Chronicles. I don't know if that's Japanese or not. Um, I don't know if they really made any. Wow. Uh, that's, that's kind of crazy. I mean, of course the Sega Saturn had its, uh, its fair share of, uh, fantastic JRPGs on it. Um, but again, nothing that could really match the, the PlayStation one, but anyways, uh, that game that I was going to bring up was Breath of Fire. So I'd love to kind of talk about this game in particular. And also if you guys have any thoughts on the series in general, because I know, uh, just recently, a couple months ago, we actually ended up getting, uh, Breath of Fire 3, I believe it was, uh, the PlayStation Portable version uh, came to the States as well. Uh, yeah, Kurt, and that I was... Don't know if you, oh, sorry, Peter, if you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, I actually found out um, Breath of Fire 3 was on PSP only a couple years ago because it didn't come out in North America, right? It was just in uh, Europe and Japan. So I actually was able to import a copy once I realized that fairly cheaply. Um, the reason I wanted to is because Breath of Fire uh, 3 and 4 uh, were both really incredible games for me, both for their soundtrack, their graphics, and the you know the way that combat worked, and and even the the fishing mini games. They, these were very rich games at the time. Uh, that you know, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, when sprites were sort of a no no thing for PlayStation mm-hmm. by two thousand, or I guess probably earlier than that, um, the sprites were okay again. And these are some of the the best looking uh, you know 2D games on the PlayStation, in my opinion. Um, very very fond of them, and uh, it's a shame to me that Breath of Fire has sort of dwindled away and become yet another mobile property. Full stop. Yeah, that, that's super gross. Um, it, I, I I'm doing a really bad job as a host. I meant to mention that uh, the game itself came out in Japan uh, April 27th in the year 2000, and then. Shortly after that, in North America on November 28th in the same year, 2000, Europe got it about a year later uh, after the original Japanese release. And this game was also ported, and I didn't realize this until I started looking it up, uh, ported to Windows in 2003 in Japan. And that version also came to Europe in September of the same year, but it never came to the United States. I think it did. I swear I remember seeing it in the stores. Okay, then Wikipedia, I mean, you, you usually are incredibly reliable. That's how I do most of my book reports and my, um, and my research, but not coming through today. They, uh, Capcom, for a while, they decided to start doing some of their games on Windows. Like, they made Mega Man Legends. I think uh, even Mega Man X3, like the CD version that we didn't get for a long time, they published that. Same thing with Mega Man X4. Um, I mean, I never played it. Wait, I don't think was it was... a CD version of Mega Man X3? Yeah. It was uh, in Japan. It was originally only released in Japan for the Saturn and PS1. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically Whoa. the same, except it has like a CGI intro and ending and a like a range soundtrack. But if you get the Mega Man X collection, the one for the PS2 and GameCube, mm-hmm. it uses that version. Wow. Okay. And I'm guessing that a range soundtrack is absolute garbage. Uh, it's like half and half. Some tracks, like I didn't think the soundtrack to X3 was that great to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, some tracks are better range. Some tracks are better on the Super Nintendo. It's still like kind of a not a big deal anyway. Yeah, I mean, if you want to hear some great Mega Man music, uh, you can hear the the secret best uh, Mega Man soundtrack next week when we talk about Mega Man Five. Um, so this this a couple quick notes uh, as well with this game is that. Um, GamePro, you know, they gave it 
five out of five, five exploding heads out of five, uh, including an editor's choice awards. And they were quoted as saying, if you believe Final Fantasy nine is the last word in RPGs this year, think again. They cited the game's, quote, well-illustrated graphics and, quote, beautiful score as its high points. Uh, very many uh, outlets give it high marks here in the United States. And uh, Famitsu gave it a 31 out of 40, which, you know, that might as well be four donuts out of bananas. I don't know, because <laughs> those review scores don't really matter. Um, well, that's like an 8887, according to old school AGM. <laughs> yeah. Um, GameSpot gave it a, a 7.5. And, you know, again, it seems like this is a game that people look back on a lot more fondly. Um, or I should say, like, it, it's a game that people recommend going back to a lot more today. It's It's a game that's brought up quite a bit and you definitely saw it when people uh when sony decided to bring breath of fire 3 the playstation portable version over here to the united states there's definitely still a a very dedicated fan base for for this series um peter i don't, I don't know if you had any other thoughts on uh breath of fire 4 is this something that you ended up getting in your you know it it did come out in november was this like a, a holiday release for you that you ended up playing over the break um, I don't remember if I picked it up at launch, um, but I was definitely into Breath of Fire 3 uh, when that came out. And uh, when I did eventually pick up Breath of Fire 4, I was very much in sort of ra- enraptured by the, the ways that the things that Artie had done so well before were just turned up a little bit. Um, and I don't think I ever completed the game, uh, not for lack of, of enjoyment, uh, although I will say it has a very tedious uh, opening hour. Mm-hmm. Um, you sort of have to wander the desert and then you end up in this town that is almost impossible to navigate mm-hmm. because it is so, it is so tight with so many different, uh, corridors. Um, and the camera doesn't give you a good enough angle to actually like discern what is available to you in terms of where you can walk or what you're standing in front of. So you have to rotate the camera quite a bit. Uh, and that felt like really frustrating and, and maybe that sort of stuck with me, but, um, <laughs> That's where I stopped playing the game. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what I'm talking about. It oh, was, yeah. That's the only thing I remember really vividly about that game was getting to that town and just getting infuriated. And he's like, well, that's it. Never playing it again. <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay. Well, I, I think this is something that it, it seems I don't know if, if you guys have any feelings three over four. Like if, if you have both of those available to you, is there is there one that you would play over the other, Kurt? I'm not really a Breath of Fire fan, so I can't really say. Like, I say this every time I write about Breath of Fire, but the series always felt to me like it was, uh, like Capcom needed an RPG, so that was what they made. And, uh, I've never really felt anything particularly bad about them, but I've never mm-hmm. really was that enamored with them either. Like, the only thing I remember about the third game is it has, it has this, like, really weird, jazzy, loungy feel to it. Yeah. Uh, it's very strange. And the second game, it has an amazing introduction and it sort of looks like Xenogears in that sprites over 3D, but it's much cleaner. Like the animation is really well done. Um, but like I said, I got like, a couple hours into that desert town and it just put me to sleep. The only other thing I have to say about it is uh, we have a site, uh, a review of the Breath of Fire series on my site. And it was written by a guy who really loved the series. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, he really, really hated 4. And... uh 
like he wrote it years ago back before like hardcore gaming 101 actually had any standards so <laughs> i just put up the whole thing as it was like nowadays i'd be like go back to me like well you have to temper this a little bit more you gotta explain mm-hmm. it a little bit better but since i didn't really have any strong feelings about the series like i had no idea what to do with it and even now like the review is kind of I got over the years, I've uh, edited a little bit, but it's still kind of kind of negative, and I've never really been able to explain why. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he loved the rest of the game, so I mean, your guess is as good as mine. On the other hand, I love Dragon Quarter. That game is fantastic. All right, all right, uh, Peter. Any um, any any thoughts on four, three over four, or four over three? You know, like four, I think is immediately impressive, both for its music and for the way it introduces. Um, what it's capable of in, in terms of its uh, its artwork, but three is definitely a more relaxed uh, experience that brings you in and lets you sort of just get comfortable. I mean, I guess what Kurt was describing, I would associate with the soundtrack, but but you know that's pretty important in terms of setting a mood and setting the atmosphere for the game. Um, th- the one thing that's just a really odd anecdote is I the hair for Ryu in the beginning of Breath of Fire 3, I'll never understand it. It's like a dollop of like blue whipped cream. It's, <laughs> it is the oddest shape in the world. But then like you play a few more hours and he grows up and he's this, you know, this striking looking hero figure. But I just remember playing that game in the beginning and being like, what the hell is on his head? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I would definitely, anyway, I would definitely choose uh, if I had to pick one, three over four. Okay. And, and this is, um, this is future in the past stuff, but now that I'm looking at my, uh, PlayStation Vita, uh, Kurt. I ended up. I did end up picking up uh, Persona Two, uh, both versions. Oh, Eternal Punishment. Yeah, it's it, it's worth sitting down with. Yeah, I'm gonna. I get. I get a poke around in, in between watching, and this is what I got to get back to. This is as a quick aside. The Persona Four anime. As someone that never watches anime and just really loves Persona Four, that has been a blast to watch and just kind of like revisit the story and the characters and kind of like oddly the voice actors of of that series. So if you want to pick those up, uh, recommended by someone that never watches anime and that kind of uh, I don't know has no real reference for what good anime is. So uh, all right, let's talk about. Vagrant Story. This is another game from SquareSoft, and the the game itself is is something that comes up time and time and time again. Whenever people do talk about PlayStation One Japanese RPGs at their finest, and this game came out February tenth, two thousand in Japan, and just a couple months later, May fifteenth, two thousand in North America, and then just one month later, June twenty first, two thousand in Europe and then it of course came to the PlayStation Network here in the States in March 2011. This is a game that is is constantly tweeted to me, told to me that I, I need to play this game. It's a weird it's a weird download. Like it's an only like an eighty megabyte download um on the PlayStation Vita. It's a it's a very small download, but um I I tried getting into this game uh, a little bit and Maybe this is just me being really snobby, but I think the game looks like absolute garbage. Um, <laughs> Wait, visually or just vi- the game itself? Visually, I think it just like is an ugly, ugly game. Um, <laughs> You're gonna have a rough time with it. <laughs> yeah, because um, it is. I mean, maybe it's just being on the Vita, but like if you play that game, especially on a PS3 or something that smooths out the textures, mm-hmm. like I think it's probably one of the best looking PS1 games. 
I don't know why. I don't know why I I thought that maybe because they they do zoom in on the characters a little bit. Um, I I think I probably just need to, like you said, turn on the smoothing on the on the Vita. It does have that option available. Um, I usually like to pixelate the crap out of my games, but um, I need to look at this because this is a game that. You know, the only kind of bad review that I got was from from Edge, but EGM nine out of ten. Famitsu again, forty bananas out of forty monkeys. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was one of their perfect scores. That people were like, oh my god, perfect show. Famitsu gave it a perfect score. It's got to be the best game ever. This is what they're saying in Japan. Um, the uh, IGN nine point six, Gamespot nine point six, uh, OPM four point five out of five, and uh, this game, I. I Again, I think I poked around with it a little bit because uh, Alexander O. Smith, who I believe was on, he was on an episode of like 8-4 Play talking about uh, when he started helping out with the localization at, at Squaresoft and this game came up. So I went back to go to go play it and um, maybe maybe it, it was just, I was having a bad day or something like that. Maybe it, it sounds like, and I want to talk to you guys about it, that I should play this game uh some more but but kurt how how does this game hold up is this a, is this a must play game okay i have extremely mixed feelings about vagon story okay yeah and a lot of it had to do with when the game came out mm-hmm. uh because i picked up his right after like a college uh break or something like that because it came out in may but anyway if you play the game normally like not really paying attention to like all the weapon crafting and systems, you will eventually get to a point where you fight an enemy or boss that you do like one thing of damage to. And you're like, what am I doing wrong? Mm -hmm. The reason is that it has this extremely complex affinity system. And I was looking up uh, on game facts just to see exactly how I remembered how it worked. It's like each, each uh, um, piece of equipment has an affinity for uh, what is it? Elemental, Mm-hmm. Uh, monster type affinity, and then there's three types: is like bladed, uh, you know, blade type. And so, if you attack an enemy with a weapon that's like a blunt weapon and it's incompatible with that, you will not do any damage to them. And of course, at the time, I didn't really realize it, so I sat down and sort of tried to understand how to play. And the community, as much as it was, which was the game facts back then, was sort of like how the Dark Souls community is now, though they're just like super hostile. So I'd be like, okay, how do I play this game? And everybody just be like being really nasty and unpleasant about it. <laughs> um, so eventually, like, I, I sat down and over the course of several months, just went back to it and tried to figure it out. And eventually I did. And you, you kind of like have to keep this roster of, of uh, different weapons. Like everybody has different devices of how to play, but you need to have at least a couple of weapons and build them up. Uh, but there's no quick way to switch between them. Like you always are going in and out of menus, in and out of menus and crafting them, just menus, menus, menus. And once I realized uh, how to play the game, it just, it's not very fun. Like, uh, the, the real big thing about it was it was kind of advertised as square doing metal gear solid, like a really cinematic uh, action game. That's how the intro plays out. Mm hmm. And it's not really like that. It's more of like a dungeon crawler. But when they initially unveiled it, I think the magazines were saying it'd be like an eight, 10 hour game, but it ended up being a 20 hour game. So there's just lots of copy pasted rooms where not much is really happening. Mm-hmm. Um, every once in a while, there's some box puzzles, which like I absolutely loathe. Um, and it has this weird sort of thing where in order to activate your weapon's special powers, you have to hit them in a certain rhythm. But the timing just does not match up to the character's animations. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't, 
it, it's a little weird unless you actually play it, but it just never made sense to me. And it's one of those things like if you missed it, you could break your combo and then the enemy would attack and then the enemy could like kill you immediately depending on what you're fighting. And uh, I got to this one force, which must have been about halfway through the game. And I was just like, I can't I can't play this anymore. Like it has an amazing atmosphere. Uh, the music is incredible. The story seemed kind of good. But like I said, I just did not find it fun to play at all. Peter, how do you feel? Uh, you know, I, I kind of agree with a lot of what Kurt has to say. Um, very mixed feelings about this game, especially because I, um, and I hope we get to talk about it in a minute, uh, I, I love Final Fantasy Tactics. Mm-hmm. And the trio of uh, Matsuno, uh, Yoshida, and Sakamoto, who were involved right. in you know the design, the writing, the art, and music, mm-hmm. they, they are all attached to this game, and I was just <clears throat> so smitten with the idea of it. And Dream Team-like scenario. Yeah, for oh, yes, yeah. but yeah, yeah, like my my personal dream team, and uh, and so the game came out, and like Kurt said, the the opening scenes are, in my opinion, better than Metal Gear Solid in terms of the cinematography mm-hmm. and the way that th- they can sort of convey atmosphere on their own, regardless of what the characters are going to say. Eventually, the shots are really well composed, and that was immediately impressive. And then I got into combat. And I, I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> this is not fun. <laughs> this really isn't fun at all. It, it It is sort of like, if I remember correctly, it's sort of similar to the VAT system in Fallout where you have to pick uh, different body parts on an enemy that you're going to attack. And that in of itself isn't horrible. But the way that it plays out is very slow and meticulous. And it was a bit, the, the number of systems were impenetrable. I felt like there had to be this sort of esoteric knowledge that I needed to really be successful and enjoy the, the challenges that were presented to me. And I never, I never got that. Mm-hmm. This is one of my white whales. Like I, I, I need to finish Vagrant story. I own a copy of it, digital and physical, but I just, I can't scrub those memories away <laughs> of how disappointed I was. Um, you know what I do? Every once in a while, I go and play the intro again because yeah. the intro is incredible. Like <laughs> oh, the intro, so good. you can play parts of it. Like parts of it are really cinematic, and then they're like, okay, this is Dragon, go fight it. And it's it's just incredible. It's like twenty minutes long. The score is fantastic. Yeah. But like once he enters the mansion and shuts the gate, I mean, like you know what? I've seen the best this game has to offer. I'm going to go do something else. I know, and that might be the case too. Like that literally could be the best thing about Vagrant Story, and, well, and like, I'm sort of pining for the rest of it. But so, so you're saying that's like Vagrant Story's Green Hill Zone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I guess so. All right. How incredibly apt. <laughs> oh, okay, so we can cross that one off. Um, I have the soundtrack. At least the soundtrack's dope. It's available on iTunes for sixteen dollars. Um, well, I mean, it's what I, if you already have it, I guess it's everybody still talks about it fondly. It's but. the systems that that this is the thing is that I can't like the the again the reason why Persona Four is so great is that there's depth without overcomplication. Like I understand everything that's going on in terms of the systems, and it's not something that I'm spending a ton of times in menus. The most time that you spend in menus is when you're fusing personas, and like this is something where I just kind of want to keep going forward, keep going forward, keep going forward, and that's something that I'm really hoping that is not a a major part of of Dragon Quest Seven because I'm still hoping that I can play some of that before we get our cross our fingers fall release of Persona Five. I don't know. Yeah, that might not be, uh, and I thought might not be worth it then because I mean it. I, I have no idea how the development actually went beyond like them padding it out. 
Mm-hmm. But I was always under the impression that the game kind of started out a bit like Diablo and that it had like a really simple like hack and slash system. And like, mm-hmm. OK, this is too boring. Let's just pile systems upon systems upon systems and let's see what comes out. And that's what happened with Vegas story. Well, fun fact. Um, <laughs> you, you mentioned uh, Sakimoto, uh, who, of course, did uh, worked on soundtracks, including uh, Radiant Silver Gun and Final Fantasy Tactics. Um, but And Gauntlet 4 on the Genesis. Okay, oh, his Genesis could... work is so awesome. Yeah. Really? <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, he was he was a real wizard when it came to FM synth. Like Wait, uh, so he was like he was like side by side with uh Kashiro? Uh yeah, kind of. Like he w- he also wrote his own sound drivers. Like uh he got Whoa. started also on the the PC88. So he wrote the sound driver for that and he ported it over to the Genesis. And the games that like he he scored Gauntlet, but he also did the music conversion for um, a couple of Data East games, Midnight Resistance and Captain America: The Avengers, and they both sound incredible, like much better Whoa. than the arcade version. Whoa! Okay, I'm gonna have to. Oh shit! And Magical Chase. Yeah, Magical <laughs> Chase. That's another. He, oh, Devilish was another one he did for the Genesis. Oh god, I can't. I'm two days ago flying back in from Utah on the Red Eye. I was listening to the Magical Chase soundtrack. Bet your <laughs> ass, man. I listened to that soundtrack over and over and over again, and it continues to be... It's probably the best soundtrack of all time, um, top to bottom. It's just so damn good. Um, go find... or do it, Stop what you're doing. Go to Amazon Japan. Order that CD so you have a copy of it. It is just incredible. Um, anyways, yeah... Um, Speaking of just like the specific stuff in terms of uh, Xenogears, I uh, got some influence from uh, the X-Files uh, for ideas on ambient scores and also some influences including James Horner and Hans Zimmer um, trying to have like a little bit of a different sound than what you would expect in terms of the bright and cheerful tones of Final Fantasy tactics. So um, yeah, I still think the soundtrack is great and it's cool to cool to listen to and um Maybe this is the point where we we talk about uh, Final Fantasy Tactics. Um, this is probably the the right spot. I think it's a good transition. And, and Peter, you're gonna you're gonna stab me if we didn't talk about Final Fantasy Tactics. So um, it doesn't necessarily fall in the JRPG uh, drop down menu. But um, talk to me about this game and why I need to play it and what I need to know before I get into it so I can enjoy it as much as humanly possible. Okay. Do you like game of Thrones? Um, I watched one and a half episodes. I turned it off because they were going (laughs) to kill dogs both times. That is a good reason to avoid the show. (laughs) That is a trend that does not stop. Unfortunately, they just have a problem like killing dogs on that show. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Siri just turned on again. What the hell? It's it's a way to strip certain characters, I think, of these sort of um, these passive facets of their identity mm-hmm. uh, and some of their power and maybe agency um, during a conflict where they lose control. But anyway, Final Fantasy Tactics uh, is a game by uh, Yasumi Matsuno, who uh, also worked on the Ogre Battle and Tactics Ogre games. Uh, all of which were famously inspired by A Song of Fire and Ice, the series of books hmm. that you know are now known as Game of Thrones to right. pretty much everybody. And, uh, and yeah, because those were published, I believe, starting around 1991, something like that. Um, the series is that old. It's only just now become popular uh, because HBO picked it up and ran with it. Um, but this, the same sort of qualities in the, the story of Game of Thrones where 
you know, there are these characters that are that are put into situations that they can't handle because morality is thrown out the window and there's all these gray areas and and alliances are odd and they don't really persist for long because someone comes in and disrupts them. Mm-hmm. All of that is present in Final Fantasy Tactics. It is it is one of the most uh you know, distraught stories in a game that I've ever played where, you know, brothers turn against brothers, um, family ties mean nothing and then, you know, come back to mean something. Um, and childhood friends are stuck in a conflict, uh, despite them working together as children, uh, to sort of do right by each other and by their, uh, their family, which in one case, uh, the character Ramza is basically Jon Snow. He's, Hmm. it's implied that he's a bastard of the King. And then you have Delita, who was adopted by the royal family and the two of them sort of essentially split up and they both try to fight for the the uh you know the right thing to do for for the kingdom but they go about it in very different ways mm-hmm. um so first of all the story is in my opinion just incredible and i even though it's not a, a perfect localization i actually really prefer the original translation some things are lost but the new one has uh sort of ye old english speak a little bit. Is this the is this the PSP version that you're? This talking is the about PSP now? version and the iOS version, and those are very. Uh, those come with caveats. I will I will always recommend the original version of the game, uh, not just for its translation, but because it's the only version that gets the the battle the the speed of animations in battle correct. Mm-hmm. Um, when this when Final Fantasy Tactics was initially ported to PSP, the uh, the game was made widescreen, which is fine. Uh, but the battle animations were slowed down, uh, and for what that, for why they did that, I don't know. But what that essentially does is it prolongs everything, and you're constantly casting magic and using items, and all of these actions come with you know little flourishes and, and animations and stuff, uh, and so it feels really long. Uh, and it, but it's kind of sad because the PSP version has, I believe, maybe one or two extra missions, but like at least an extra character and an extra character class. Um, so that version was ported to iOS and the same problem persisted when it was released there where battle animations were slow again. I think it took about a year. Square came back and said, Hey everyone, we fixed it. It's all good now. And I was like, great. So I, I downloaded it. I finally bought it. They made them too fast. They made them faster than the original version. So what was once too slow is now way too fast. And it's just like, they can't get it right. Uh, weird Square Enix having problems getting things right. In on mobile 16 yeah go figure oh, yeah. <laughs> um so the thing to know about going into this game is one play the playstation version you can you can buy it as a classic on psn that'll work on ps3 or 10 bucks, Vita. Yep. Ten bucks uh super good screen uh, tax on that but it's worth it it sounds like yeah yeah it, it, i think it has you know one of the best uh stories to come out of uh squaresoft ever uh mm-hmm. you know that's just me maybe um, but it's also got a really wonderful combat system that, uh, you know, uses the idea of classes to define what characters are capable of. Um, but within that, it lets you sort of remix uh, primary, secondary abilities, uh, reactionary abilities, passive abilities, all these different things that you can really shape uh, a team bigger than you can use in a single battle um, in, in various ways with a lot of depth. Mm-hmm. Within that, there's a lot of ways to kind of cheat the game, but that's kind of like the joy to be had within all of that because you have to work really hard to get to those points. Uh, it's the sort of, you know, it's the same scenario. Like if you max out all your materia in final fantasy seven, you know, you have, you get attacked once 
everyone does Omni Slash, everyone casts Knights of the Round. <laughs> like you can, you can kind of cheese the system. But it's mm-hmm. a testament, I think, to how much depth there is in Final Fantasy Tactics that, despite all their attention to detail, they they couldn't get every last detail correct because there's just so much to do. And I apologize for this rant. I just clearly have a lot to say. <laughs> no, I, I, I totally understand that. That's such a shame when there's just such a, a fantastic game there and then there's just extra layers add on that are added onto it, not to make it better, but just to make it worse. Yeah. That's what you never you never want to see. And unfortunately, with some re-releases today, uh, whether it be iOS ports or just bringing games from the past into the future, um, sometimes... Companies feel the need to do things like that, and they're not always for the better. That's a shame. Um, Kurt, how do you feel about Final Fantasy Tactics and uh, Ogre Tactics? Tactics Ogre. I did a backward, sorry. Final Fantasy Tactics is the high-water mark for every Japanese strategy RPG that's ever been made. It's a fantastic game. So would you even recommend it to... I mean, this is the big thing these days is Fire Emblem. People that enjoy Fire Emblem, should they be going back to these games? <laughs> it's hard to say. I like Final Fantasy Tactics a lot more than Fire Emblem, but they're mm-hmm. both doing different things. Um, okay, going back to when I played Final Fantasy Tactics, it was in a weird spot when it was released in America because Final Fantasy VII came out in September '97, and Tactics came out, I think, in January or February the the year after. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really sure what to expect, except I played it. I saw the isometric perspective. I assumed it was sort of like XCOM, which I had played on the PC. But it's really a mixture of Tactics Ogre and the job system from Final Fantasy V, which at that point, neither of those had been released in English. So I don't think American gamers, including myself, had any real context to appreciate it or understand how to play it. Right. Like, I really liked it, but I also struggled with it quite a bit because I didn't mm-hmm. really understand how to play it. Um. So a couple years later, after I played Final Fantasy V, I went back and I just enjoyed the hell out of it because I understand how to use the job system. Like one of the most important things to remember is that experience points, like your your character level, isn't really that important. It's the job abilities that you have. Hmm. Um, like I think I just turned my characters all into knights. So I'm like, oh okay, knights are what I played as in the original Final Fantasy, but I never found in the long run the knight skills are all that useful. Mm-hmm. But you get along, you you sort of get an idea about what uh how to use the different character classes like you always uh i i always uh turned my character to all of them into a chemist so that at least they had the ability to use potions and heal themselves pretty regularly uh learn to use archers and then to put them on a high ground so they'll stop missing so much uh position them if you attack a character from the sides or behinds it always will have a much higher uh chance of succeeding and just little little learn the bits like that like you get more jobs as a the game goes on. Like, I think it kind of have is an inverse difficulty curve. Mm-hmm. Like at the beginning when you don't really have very many characters, you don't have very many skills. So especially if you're still learning how to use it. But, uh, I know once I got dragoons, I was just, okay, everybody dragoons are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like yeah, I, I really like, you talk uh, about difficulty. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, please. Oh, you talk about game of Thrones. Like at the time, you know, the last time I played, I had no idea what game of Thrones was, but that, that definitely, uh, it's definitely a really good parallel, especially because like there's magic in the Game of Thrones universe and supernatural stuff, but it's kind of lying in the background. And that's very much how Final Fantasy Tactics approaches it too. Hmm. Like uh it's really a lot more restrained compared to the main series. Because again, it's more like uh Tactics Ogre was, which was more of a political military drama. Like Tactics Ogre was based off of uh gosh, I think the Baltic War. Uh 
Yeah, I think it was that. I don't know. Somebody wrote an article for it, uh, but I haven't posted it yet. But it was like, yeah, Mamatsuno really loved that sort of political stuff. So it was a lot more mature, even though the, uh, the PS1 thing kind of mangled it. Like, if you want to try to play the game to get the PS1 version, do not play the tutorial because you will feel dumber after having watched it. It makes no sense. Um, <laughs> But you can find guides online that will ease you into a little bit more. And also, if you have a hacked PSP, they made a patch that fixes all those dumb animation stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's um, right. That's right. But if you're playing it on the Vita, that's not gonna not gonna hold up. Yeah. the uh, The difficulty curve in this game is very interesting because I think it's about three or four battles in, you're put up against archers and mages. And up until that point, you've probably been a squire and a chemist, and maybe you have a knight. Uh, maybe you have one archer. But, I mean, you are seriously, like, being, like, arrows and fire are raining down upon you, and you have no idea what to do. And there's a few fights like that throughout the game. But what the sort of the end game for tactics, at least for me, was uh, stealing. Stealing as many items as possible from the high level bosses you would fight because it wasn't just one item. You could take their helmet, their, you know, their armor, (laughs) their gauntlets, their weapon, their shoes. Like you had the ability to steal from every character and, and, and it was just really enticing. But there were some bosses like there's a, um, a vampire count who is just, I mean, he can drain the life out of anyone like almost instantly and he can teleport around the map, but he has the legendary Genji armor. He has the total set. And that is like the thing to get. Um, and then even, you know, if you want to uh, play with uh, Cloud, because Cloud is in the game, Cloud from Final Fantasy VII, you can bring him onto your team, but he starts at level one when you guys, the rest of your team is at like level 40. So, I mean, you can actually find ways to prolong the game by making your own challenges, which I think is just great. All right, I'm convinced. I'm convinced I get I get to give it a shot. Um, and uh, again, also fantastic, uh, unbelievable soundtrack that people can go in and check out on iTunes as well. I think it was the the chat that that Kurt and I had that um, so many of Square Enix's soundtracks are now available on iTunes at incredibly reasonable prices. If you want to go pick those up and uh, have them available, and also on Amazon Music as well, Amazon MP3, and sometimes it's a little bit cheaper on there. So maybe. Maybe uh, do some shopping before you you uh, you go and lock that in. So um, what we'll do right now is we'll take a quick break, and then we'll be right back to talk about the correct answer for the best JRPG on the PlayStation 1, Parasite Eve. Just Paras- Par- Parasite Eve. Okay. Um, <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be right back. We're going to talk about... I'm not kidding. We're going to talk about Parasite Eve for a couple minutes, and then we're also going to get some... Uh, some listeners submitted uh, opinions on this as well. So stick around here. Some more music, maybe from Parasite Eve.
Okay, I wasn't kidding. Like, I really do want to talk about Parasite 8 because there is, I don't know, it wouldn't probably be classified as a JRPG, but um, Parasite Eve is the one game on the PlayStation 1 that I, in terms of role-playing games, that I've actually gone all the way through because I was, I totally bought into the hype of this game. I believe I got to see a, a trailer on a PlayStation Magazine demo disc, and I thought, a, I love the setting. It's New York City. It's current day. Like that was super appealing to me. And you get to shoot a gun. Also pretty rad. So uh, this game came out in uh, March 29th, 1998 in Japan, September 9th, 1998 in the United States. And uh, this game, and I just I just realized this, a uh, soundtrack from uh, Yoko Shinomura, of course, from legendary, legendary composer, uh, from games like Super Mario RPG. There's a laundry list. Not even going to go into all this. There's a laundry list of incredible soundtracks that um, you should go check out if you haven't. Um, her work is some of the best. But the uh, the reason why I want to talk about this game is because for some reason, this game clicked with me. I absolutely, I absolutely loved it. And it was like outside of Super Mario RPG and a little bit like playing a mostly completed game save of a rented copy of Final Fantasy 3. Like, this was really the only experience that I... And I take that back. I did partially learn to read because of Dragon Warrior 1. But um, this is the game that I actually loved, and I went all the way through on the PlayStation. Was not super well-reviewed here in the States. Lots of 7s, lots of 7s, 7.5s, things like that. But uh, I absolutely love this game, and I think I might even... I think this could be the very first RPG that gets featured as an episode on this show. So I want I want to check the waters. Um, Kurt, how do you feel about this incredible game, ridiculous franchise, and uh, of course, maybe the most visually appealing PlayStation Portable game in its sequel, what was it called, The Third Birthday? I haven't played it since it came out, but I remember enjoying it quite a bit. Um, yeah, you get to celebrate Christmas Eve with uh, Aya and the crazy like parasites in New York City. I mean, I remember it's very. Uh, it's one of the things that tried to be cinematic. Like, I think at the time they sort of. I remember lending it to friends, and they had was under the impression it's going to be like Resident Evil, which is kind of the direction that sequels took. Yeah, um, but it had you know, the kind of weird battle system where like you only ever played as Aya, mm-hmm. so you would like shoot somebody and then sort of like run around. Uh, to, to try to get out of their range before you could attack again. But I mean, it had a really cool atmosphere at a nice, like electronic soundtrack. Uh, the CGI scenes were, were very well done. Uh, the only thing I remember that was kind of disappointing is that it took place in New York city, but it was obviously done by people who had maybe only seen pictures of New York city. <laughs> so it didn't really feel like, I remember at one point you go to the museum of natural history and, and like, that's yeah. one of my like favorite places on the planet. And it is mm-hmm. nothing like it. You know, uh, the limited budgets of uh, Squaresoft at the time did not allow... I mean, they were putting all that money into the Final Fantasy movie. Like, they had their <laughs> priorities, you know? And, I mean, it's one of those games I've been mean to go back and play. Like, the sequel, I remember tried to go a little bit more Resident Evil 2-ish. And then the third game is, like, barely related at all. Um, I, it got kind of panned, so I never really spent that much time with it. Peter, how do you feel about... Uh, this incredible, um, really uh, <laughs> groundbreaking franchise in Parasite Eve. 
I can't tell if you're serious or not. <laughs> I, I, I really do like, I've never played two and I bought three when I was, I went through my PSP phase right before the Vita came out and I was, again, it was like, wow, the graphics are really good, but man, this game sucks to control on a PlayStation Portable. It could really use a second stick. Uh, well, so, I mean, I did get Parasite Eve when it came out and I have not played it since or even thought about it that much, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, but I, but I finished it. I did like it. And, you know, I like Breath of Fire 4 way more than I like Parasite Eve, but I couldn't finish <laughs> that. So it's saying something. Um, the, the creature design, the use of, uh, guns in combat, and I believe you had to manage ammo. I think that was part of the deal. Yep. I seem to remember, uh, enjoying that aspect of it. But uh, maybe not loving the story so much. If I remember correctly, that was kind of the thing that I just decided to ignore and just play the game for the challenge of you know the gameplay itself. Yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm booting it up a little bit right now, so you guys can can get a little bit of this uh, creepy ass soundtrack. But um, the I intro think- is great, especially uh, geez. I think the one well, the final battle songs of Final Fantasy VIII like really reminded me of the intro to the theme of that game. It's uh oh man, I hate the stupid Circle X thing. I wish they could patch <laughs> retroly patch that in to make it but listen to it. Just really cool, like atmospheric soundtrack. Um and again it was I was totally sucked in and even like watching this right now, like the like the FMV stuff, really impressive. Like really good cinematics. Um God, maybe I will have to play that game. I don't audience. You can let me know. Is that something that you want us to actually spend an hour and a half talking about on a podcast? I don't know. Um, so anything? Uh, oh yeah, I wanted to mention the the stuff from the audience before we wrap up. Um, so quickly, uh, Lloyd Parker, uh, designer of the back of my play logos, the multiple logos, uh, also mentioned the Parasite Eve is a great choice if you want a fifteen hour experience instead of forty plus and active combat. I think that's why it was so appealing to me. Um, Alex Osborne, uh, freelance writer at IGN, uh, obvious picks, but I still adore Final Fantasy seven through nine, Grandia and Suikoden two, Vagrant Story and Xenogears are great too. Um, and also we had, let me pull the rest of these up. Um, Daniel Lopez, Vagrant Story, Star Ocean 2, but it's not on PSN, uh, Breath of Fire 3 and 4, uh, Valkyria Profile, uh, again, not, not on PSN, but PlayStation Portable version is available. And Final Fantasy VIII, uh, Tim said Vandal Hearts. I've never heard of Vandal Hearts. Kurt, what is this game? It's a strategy RPG that Konami put out. Um, I think it was maybe predated Final Fantasy VII. It's it's the only thing anybody really remembers about it, except for that guy probably, was that when you uh, when you smack a guy with a sword and kill him, he just erupts in a fountain of blood. <laughs> that's pretty rad. That's some that's some like. Um, uh, Shadow Warrior type stuff. That's pretty cool. Um, oddly enough, I've been playing through Shadow Warrior on my Mac. That's a cool game. Um, so uh, the original one or the new one? Uh, the the new one. There was I I bought it on Steam like months ago when I used to have like a gaming PC and like I just boot up Steam on OS X and like oh there's a there's a Mac version of it. You can download it for free. Okay. Um, game's pretty cool. Uh, Let's see. Plum says Guardians Crusade is still one of the most interesting RPGs of that era and has a killer soundtrack to boot. I also have not heard of that game. And I'm guessing that's something that has maybe been lost to the the um, you know, the plastic of the disc. 
It was a strange one. It, it, it had the most generic appearing characters, if I recall correctly. Um, but uh, seeing someone tweet that today, I actually looked it up, and apparently it's it's rather uh, beloved in Japan. Um, and if the, I don't know if the Wikipedia play, uh, page was just playing this up, but apparently they took the localization very seriously. You know, we do not just want a translation. We want this. To, we want the jokes to mean something. We want the characters to convey the right emotions. There might be something to it, but whoa, this looks like Quest sixty four. Yeah, no, I know it. Right, like looking at it is not an inspiring, <laughs> super, <laughs> feeling, super, yeah. super generic. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Isn't the main? I, th- I think it has like a monster raising element. Like I've never played it, but I think it was called like Dragon Egg or something like that in Japan. Hmm. And it the was, whole idea um, is that you are raising a monster with you or something like that. I think it was called Knight and Baby. Oh yeah, it had yeah. It's a even weirder name. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, well, we're running out of time, so we're going to um, say. Uh, sorry to the the Patreon folks. You guys are usually going to get a bonus segment right about now, but we ended up making this an extended episode for for everyone. So I want to continue to say thank you so much for for your support. The people that do go to patreon.com slash back of my play are really helping me continue to do this show weekly. So thank you so much. And if you haven't already and you do enjoy the shows that are being produced, it would mean so much if you go in there. And even at a dollar per episode, you know, that does add up. So so thank you so much. We have about uh, 70 people that are Patreons of the of the show and that are helping me kind of go in and, uh, and saying, you know, this show is worth supporting and it has, you know, value to me. So thank you so much to everyone that is doing that. Uh, as we wrap up, um, I also want to recommend people go to hardcoregaming101.net, just one of the best resources out there for video game history and retrospectives on franchises and um, just across the board. It's a website that I'm looking at daily. And also, Kurt has an incredible lineup of paper books that you can pick up as well on amazon.com, just books that deserve to be in your library. And I can never recommend them enough. I really think people should go there. But if you aren't a Patreon or if you do want to also find another way to support the show, go to FitCast.network and clicking on the Amazon tab of the upper right-hand corner before purchasing those books also helps uh, this show out quite a bit. Um, Kurt, anything that's uh, coming up that people should keep an eyes out for on HardcoreGaming101.net? By the time this is coming up, maybe we've officially announced the Data East book. Um, nice. Yeah, but if you're in the uh, talk about that, the, the, if you're in, uh, I'm going to too many games in Oaks, Pennsylvania, which is June. Oh. I want to say 24th through 26th. I'm going to be selling uh, books and probably some games from my closet. So stop by if you're there. Awesome. That's a that's an event that I really really do need to get to. Um, I'm so my travel is just such a mess right now. I'm traveling so much for for work, but uh, eventually I get to get to get to that. Um, and of course. There's a, a Patreon, HG underscore, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get this wrong. Do you know the, the URL for the Patreon off the top of your head, Kurt? I think it's patreon.com slash HG 101, I hope. Okay. okay, yeah, just trust me. Find it and also, again, support what Kurt is doing is very, very important. The work that he and his team are doing to continue to preserve this information and just write about this stuff because I constantly find myself finding out about new games and I feel like, well, I know everything about games, but then... There's all these new games that I discover for the first time, and then I have to end up going on eBay or like look it up YouTube to to check them out. Um, so go in and check out that site. And of course, um, you're gonna find uh, Kurt at hg underscore one on one on Twitter. And I can't forget Peter Brown, who is again he's 
getting ready to jump on the the plane and go to E3 to see gross new video games. <laughs> <laughs> I'm driving down. Thank you very much. Uh, oh, really? Actually, which I'm pretty excited about. We are taking uh, a few of my friends at the office. We're going to hop in a car and drive down the one, which is the highway that famously goes along the coastline of California. So nice. longer journey, but totally worth it. Fantastic. Um, follow Peter Brown uh, at PC Brown. He also has a, a hot new review of the brand new Kirby game on the 3DS, which uh, I am pleased to find out is uh, is very good because I, I was a huge fan of Triple Deluxe. So, um, Peter, you gave it uh, an 8 out of 10, correct? Yeah, which uh, is not an easy score to earn, <laughs> but uh, Kirby earned it. Uh, it's a, Yeah, it's a wonderful game. Uh, check out my review. There's probably a few other reviews out there, and I'm pretty sure they're all going to be as pleased with it because it's great. And speaking of old games, you also reviewed – what is it? Did you get like a 46 and reviewed Doom? <laughs> what is that? Is that, oh, is that, is that, Doom, is that Doom 2? Because I thought it's there already was a Doom 2. It certainly feels like it at times. Uh, yeah, the new Doom, uh, which came as a total surprise to me, is great. I really liked it a lot. Um and I think because it, it kind of captures the spirit of this unadulterated, you know, chaos and just teeth gritting action. I mean, that's just such a marketing speak way to describe it, but I don't know how else to describe it. Like, it is the most metal shooter I have played since oh. uh, Doom 2. And uh, it's great. Yeah, that review has. Um, I'm, I'm getting. I, I have my copy of Persona Five pre-ordered from Amazon Japan. Uh, my special $120 edition is is ready to go. I also uh, have been really itching to play Uncharted Four, and now Doom, which has been getting uh, great reviews, has has really made me. It's been really tough to hold off on buying a PlayStation Four until E3, finding out whatever the hell they're going to do with revi- revised hardware, whatever. Um, but yeah, go and check out uh, all those reviews. Uh, game, have you guys heard of this? It's GameSpot.com. It's a new website. Um, they're just getting going, and uh, they have video game reviews and videos and stuff on there. So uh, congratulations on the launch, Peter. <laughs> you know, it's funny you bring that up because uh, I don't know when this is going to air, but the week Friday, we're recording it. Okay. Well, this week is our 20th anniversary. We have wow. been on the internet for 20 years, which is kind of a really rare feat <laughs> these days. Um, and I've yeah. been lucky to be here for about 20% of that, which feels crazy, but, uh, it's wonderful. So, wow. I mean, it's basically gamespot.com, AOL.com and Yahoo. I mean, that's yeah. kind of like how the, the website or the, the internet started. And, um, I think GeoCities is gone. So you guys are kind of surviving the, <laughs> the, the battle, uh, of the, of the, you know, internet powerhouses. There's no more GeoCities and Yahoo seems to be, uh, falling apart as well so congratulations thank you that is the litmus test for success so <laughs> yeah you still can't go to geocities.com slash uh oh god i forget all those subdomains that you times square slash valley slash 3138 <laughs> i think that was the castlevania dungeon like back in 1997 oh um, my god if you guys could find my n64 geocities page holy crap i had some great reviews for uh, a 12 year old so um <laughs> if you want to look those up and and I, those are probably gone hopefully they are um 
Well, well, that's going to do it for this episode of Back of My Play. Thank you so much to everyone that tuned in, listened, downloaded, uh, gone on FitCast.network to check out all the other shows that are on there, including a brand new We Are Recording with Mike Micah. More Mike Micah for everyone out there. He is just always a fantastic interview, just a great guy, especially if you're listening to this show. That's an episode that you're going to want to check out. And uh, again, I want to uh, thank everyone that has gone to iTunes, subscribed, and reviewed on there. Reviews mean a lot for this show. And just tell a friend. If you do enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. And I am running a uh, t-shirt sale of the N64 PlayStation 1 and Sega Saturn logo on a t-shirt on Teespring. And you can find those details, hopefully in the show notes. Worst case, you can find me on Twitter at Kevin Larrabee, L-A-R-R-A-B-E-E. I'm constantly posting those on there. Uh, And that's a great way to show that you love polygons. Support the polygons and not the website, but the shirt. And you can support back in my play as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. And Kurt and Peter, thank you so much. Uh, Kurt, thank you so much for, for jumping back on the show. I really appreciate it. Of course. Sorry for and, dropping. And Peter as well. Thank you so much. And uh, hopefully you survive E3 and maybe uh, we can get like uh, a new Duke Nukem game. Maybe that would be a cool revival as well. No, you don't want that. No, I <laughs> Nobody <don't>. wants that. <laughs> no, I don't. So, uh, that's going to do it uh, for this episode. Again, thank you so much for everyone that has tuned in, and, and thank you to my two fantastic panelists for for helping me triage my Japanese RPG selection. I think, um, I don't know, I think this is probably not the right answer. Parasite Eve, coming up next. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. We'll see you guys next time.